All of the heat that we've been having as of late has really caused me to reflect back to my experience on the farm because this heat symbolized something that we were in a particular season on the Belkin farm known as hay season. Now, it's not like we didn't have other things to do all year round. We certainly had more than enough to keep us occupied. But this time, there was a different priority, that all of a sudden we would hook up all the hay equipment and we'd go out to the fields and start working. Because hay is a very time-sensitive operation. You have to go out and you have to look at the grass and make sure that whenever it reaches that right time, that you're ready, you go out and you cut the hay down. And then you have to wait for just the right time again until that time whenever it's ready to rake and to bale. And then we do that. And then we have to wait just a little while longer because the time comes whenever it's time to pick up that bale off the field and to put them all into storage. But we had to be paying attention. We had to be alert. And in, most of all, it had to have priority. There's all sorts of things that had to be done, but this was first. And really, if you think about it, this all boils down to that word priority. And many of us likely use that word almost every single day because we've got all sorts of things that call our name. We've got all sorts of things that demand our attention day in and day out. But how do we do that? How do we make it all work? Well, we have to assign priority. We have to tell which is most important, which gets my attention first, and then I continue to go down that list. That each and every one of us likely do that to a certain extent. But there's a question that comes out of that. Whenever it comes to our priorities, where is our faith? How ready are we to give that the attention that it needs and it deserves? Because so often it can be bumped down that list or maybe even pushed off the edge. And that's the question for us to consider today. But first, to consider that question, we should go to the Book of Wisdom. Now, wisdom we can look at because it's got several different ways that it's usually applied. That often it can look at present reality and encourage those that are listening to live in a certain way, but this is actually something different because it's actually encouraging us to look at past wisdom. And so what is that wisdom? Well, it talks about the night of Passover. We know Passover is a sort of Jewish institution and celebration that happens on a yearly basis, but there's the first one that ever happened, and that is what the Book of Wisdom is speaking about. Because it wants us to go back all the way to the land of Egypt whenever the Israelites were enslaved, and they were crying out to the Lord for help. And so he starts to give this series of plagues to let the Egyptians know that he was on their side and to liberate them from their captivity. And so as we go through, we finally get to the very last plague, the one that really made the Egyptians sit up and pay attention, that night that every firstborn of every family was lost. Now, that was just for the Egyptians, but there was a certain way that the Israelites were instructed to behave and to act that night, that they had to paint the blood of a lamb on their doorpost, that they had to symbolize that they believed in what the Lord was saying and that they were entering into that covenant with him. And so that night, as that spirit of death washed over the entire land, it looked for that blood of the lamb on each of their doorposts. If it found it, it passed over. It moved on. And the Israelites, because they had that gift of faith and they believed in what was happening, all of a sudden, everything was fulfilled. That the Lord fulfilled his oath, that he did exactly what was happening, and he did what he promised. And that's really an encouraging moment, that that is what the Book of Wisdom is painting out, because it's trying to get us to see the way that our fathers, the Israelites, were able to believe in the Lord, to believe what he promised, and because of that, they were preserved from, from destruction and were given freedom. 
Then we move on to the letter of the Hebrews, and here we actually have this mantra, but also the principle of faith. It tries to tell us a little bit about what faith looks like. So it starts off and it gives us a sort of definition. So faith is the realization of things hoped for, and it's also the evidence of things not seen. Now, that's a good definition. It gives us a good starting point, but then the book of that book of the letter to the Hebrews, it really tries to delve in and to go deeper because it wants to give us something concrete, something tangible. What happens when a person has faith? So it starts off with Abraham. Now, Abraham, we're told, goes through several different things that required a tremendous amount of faith. That he had to forsake his ancestral homeland and move to a different area. And then he also was of, not of childbearing years any longer, and yet he was told that he was going to bear a son. And so it happened. And then he continued to be the father of many nations. And eventually, even at that moment, whenever God called upon him to sacrifice his only son, he did it because he believed that this mantra, in faith, we're told that he did everything in faith four different times in this passage from the letter to the Hebrews, that it tells us just how tremendous his belief and his trust in God was. And so it tells us the result, that he was rewarded time and time again, that because he did everything in faith, things turned out exactly according to God's plan. And they, in fact, turned out for Abraham's benefit as well. Then finally, we move on to the Gospel of Luke, and this is a sort of continuation on the theme that we had from last weekend. So last weekend, the sort of theme was to be rich in what matters to God, not what matters to the world. But we continue because this also requires a great amount of attention. And so Jesus begins to speak and to illustrate exactly what this looks like. So he uses a couple of different images. So first he tells us exactly what it looks like as far as a servant awaiting his master's return from a long journey. So the servant might have expected that his master is going to return at a particular time. But what if the master is delayed? What if his business kept him longer? Well, what should that servant do? Well, Jesus is telling us that that servant should be paying attention. He should be vigilant for his master's return because eventually he's going to come. And imagine the surprise and the delight of that master if he finds that his servants were watching with great vigilance for that return. Imagine how overjoyed he is that they paid attention to his directive. So overjoyed is this master that he takes on the place of the servants himself, that he starts to wait on them because he's so overjoyed that they actually paid attention, that they listened to his direction. But then there's a negative side to this, because there's also the temptation to not pay attention, to kind of put the master's directives on hold, to kind of put them on the back burner, and maybe over to the side. What does that look like? Well, it's that servant that's put in charge of all the other servants that decides that because his master is delayed, it doesn't matter. That all of a sudden, because he's out of his master's reach, he starts to do what his heart desires. That he starts to go for different things and set his priorities in a different way. So he starts to eat, to drink, to get drunk, and to become so drowsy that he's not able to pay attention to the master. And what happens? Well, eventually that master comes back. And he looks and he sees that servant that did not pay attention to his direction, that did not pay attention to what he was telling him and asking him to do. And what does he do? He beats that servant severely. 
And it's impressive because we're told that this servant had every opportunity to pay attention to his master's warning, that he knew that eventually that master was going to come back, but it didn't matter because he had set his priorities above the priorities of his master. He decided to pay attention to something else. So Jesus reminds us that there is this exacting presence here, that he's requiring much of the person entrusted with much, and still more required of the person that is entrusted with more. But what does that mean for us? What is Jesus encouraging us to do? Well, first, if we look at this passage from the gospel as a whole, we can boil it down to one question. What are our priorities right here and right now? What has our attention on a daily basis? What really has our focus? And what do we put at the very top of our list of different things that we have to do, our obligations and all of the things that we have? What is number one? Because the reality is that the Lord is asking us to put our faith at the very top position. That he's asking us to put faith as priority number one. Because it deserves all of our attention and it needs all of our attention as well. That it needs vigilance. It needs to be present in every aspect of our life. That he's not mincing words. That he's telling us that this is the reality that he's looking for. That it's much like that master that we're waiting for because we can't yet see him, at least in the way that we would like. And yet he's still asking us to be vigilant, to pay attention to the directives that he's asking. But notice this servant in this negative view that we see, the servant that gets beaten severely, because we're told that he puts his priorities in a different order, that he starts to pay attention to things that don't matter. And we're told that he's beaten severely by that master. But if we really go back to the text, some of the commentaries offer this suggestion. Maybe that servant was beating himself up as well. Maybe that servant was looking at all of the different things that were required of him, and so because of that, he was torn apart because he had so many different obligations to attend to, and he didn't put faith as number one, that he didn't put his master's beginning and his instruction at the very head. And that's probably a challenge because we all know that we've got so many different things going on in life. Jesus is not unaware of this fact, but he's still asking us to put faith and put our relationship in the, with the Lord at that number one spot. But let's go back even further because we can go back to that book of wisdom and see exactly what has happened in our fathers. But imagine for a second if they didn't live that way. Imagine if they had decided that the oaths that the Lord had promised weren't going to happen, that that spirit of death wasn't going to wash over that night, if they hadn't painted the blood of lambs on their doorpost, because they would have been severely disappointed that next day. And what's worse is that they would have even been trapped, and they would not have that freedom that they're, rather, that they're looking for, that they would have, in fact, still been enslaved, because the same exact thing that happened to the Egyptians would have happened to them. And that's really an important measure for us because so often in life we can put faith in a subordinate position or we can put it further down on our list of priorities because we decide that maybe the Lord doesn't have our life figured out. That we decide that all of a sudden, because of what the Lord is asking of us, it's too much. That we can't follow and be fulfilled and be truly happy. And yet the Lord promises us fulfillment. That much in the same way that he's speaking to the Israelites, he's speaking to each one of us and he's telling us that if you follow my directives, if you put faith at a priority level, priority number one even, that you will not be disappointed. In fact, you will be overjoyed and fully satisfied and fully fulfilled. And that's a reminder that's important for each of us. 
But then let's move back to the letter to the Hebrews because it gives us that beautiful and profound reminder that in fact the Lord wants us to live in faith. Though it sounds like it might be a bit idealistic. It might sound like something that's really overly pious and not really possible if we're living our life well. And yet, it's really a possibility, and it's in fact a requirement and encouragement for each one of us, because we do have a lot of obligations. We've got a lot of different things that do call for our attention, and yet we should do everything that we do in faith, that we shouldn't just live in one sector and take Jesus over here and not take him with us in the rest of our life, but in fact, he should be over everything that he should be with us in every aspect and every facet of our life, because he wants us to do everything in faith. He wants us to take him everywhere we go. Because we're Christians, because we're disciples, that should change our entire life and our outlook on life. That in fact, because Abraham lived in faith, it doesn't mean that we can't live up to that expectation. But in fact, we can live that life that is fully fulfilled, fully filled with joy and truly of the Lord, because we live everywhere in faith. It's truly going to bring us up to the next level and give us that life that is full, that is abundant, and that is overjoyous as well. But the challenge is to go back and to consider that much like life on the farm at this point in time, we have to have our priorities in order. We have to put everything in its place and see where it belongs. But faith must always come first. It must always be the thing that we're paying attention to the most and the thing that we live our life by, that governing principle. Because the Lord asks it of us, but he also promises us eternal reward and eternal fulfillment as if we follow his command. That the Lord promises and reminds us that where our treasure is, our heart will also be. Another way to think of this is where our treasure is, our priority is going to be as well. Hopefully our treasure is in the kingdom of heaven, that it's with Jesus and God forever. But we have to live our lives now. We have to let it change our list of priorities and to set what we pay attention to day in and day out. My brothers and sisters, as we continue our lives of faith into this week, let's continue to pay attention to the things that we set as priority, the things that we pay attention to. And let's let our relationship with God be first and foremost amongst everything that we have to do.